Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to discuss maybe my favorite topic besides Hashem, but this is another way of discussing Hashem, which is to talk about infinity. For the longest time, I used to describe God as infinite, but then Rabbi Tzvi Freeman said to me, if you describe God as infinite, you're actually putting parameters around him. And that sort of blew my mind, because God is beyond anything. God is, as Reb Shlomo would say, beyond, 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 beyond. I always try to be very particular in making this point. And I was told that Spinoza was actually excommunicated in part for for this idea that he said that God equals the world and the world equals God. Now, on one level, that sounds very beautiful because that's a very spiritual idea that whatever you're encountering in this world is an emanation of godliness. That is actually true. But to say that God equals the world and the world equals God, now all of a sudden you're putting limitations around God. God only goes as far as the world, but God goes dimensions and dimensions beyond, beyond, beyond the world. And if you want to just try to think about that for a moment, let's say you have a pencil and a piece of paper and you draw a circle. Well, that's a circle in two dimensions. Now let's say you have a ball, like a baseball. That's a circle in three dimensions and it has a special name, we'll call it a sphere, but it's a circle in three dimensions. Now imagine what does a circle look like in four dimensions? I don't know. How about five dimensions? Well, I I couldn't even do four dimensions. How about in a trillion dimensions? (laughs) Like, the, the mind literally can't go that far. And then God is beyond all the dimensions. God makes dimensions. As I used to like to say to my kids, God doesn't have a body. God makes bodies. God is not limited to the universe. God makes universes. So infinity is a very great word, except that God is so beyond that, even that word can't contain God. It's kind of sweet that Buzz Lightyear's catchphrase was to infinity and beyond. But that actually is a great Jewish thought, that he's introducing the idea of beyond infinity, which is what we're discussing right now. So good job, Buzz Lightyear. But anyway, let's apply this and go perhaps even deeper. You know, all of us have problems. We have good days, we have bad days. Life isn't easy. It's filled with challenges. And then that's the point, by the way. You know, that's a whole subject in and of itself. I remember Rabbi Orlovsky saying something that, when he said this, I couldn't get it out of my mind, and I gave talks on it for probably about three to five years, (laughs) because it was sort of like, It was such an epic thought, which is that here's how most people think. I would say probably 90% plus people think the following. If I do everything right, I'm going to have an easy, straightforward life. That the only reason why I'm encountering any problems whatsoever is because of my averas, my, my wrongdoing. And that's what's complicating my life. Okay, that is, I think, everyone's sort of set assumption. 
But then what Rabbi Orlovsky pointed out was, he said, did Abraham Avinu do anything wrong whatsoever? And the answer is no. And Abraham Avinu, okay, God says, okay, pick up your entire community and travel to this place. By the way, one of the amazing things about the command of Lech Lecha, to go forward, is that God did not tell him where he was going. <laughs> you know, a lot of people like don't appreciate that aspect of the test. They think it's sort of like, oh, just uproot yourself and go do the land of Israel that you don't know so well. But no, it was uproot yourself and go to a place that I'm not even going to tell you. D does that sound like our lives, by the way? Right? Because our entire lives are within Abraham, right? Abraham was the first Jew. So all Jews descend from him. And by the way, including converts. Very important. Because there's a question in Halacha. Can a convert say, my God and God of my fathers, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, if biologically, seemingly, they're not from Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? So th this question is actually taken seriously. And the answer is yes. And I heard in the name of the Zohar, one of the most precious teachings I've, I've ever heard in my life, which is, you know, that Abraham and Sarah, they, they tried to have children, but they weren't able to have children or Yitzchak till Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham was 100 years old. That's, you know, a, was a great, great miracle. Okay. But when they were together trying to have children, do you think that it's possible that nothing resulted from their union? So it says very deeply that before they actually had the, the child, Yitzchak, when they were together, they were actually creating souls. Maybe not bodies, but they were creating souls. And who were those souls? The souls of future converts. That's, I have the chills. This is an awesome, awesome, awesome teaching. You know? So what you learn from that is that, yes, yes, we are all children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Those who are born within the family and those who join the family are, are equally so. And of course, everyone who ever was going to be Jewish, their souls were at Mount Sinai receiving the Torah alongside everybody else. So... Anyway, that's important. So the idea is, if the only reason why I'm having trouble in my life is because of the things that I've done wrong, right? Wrong. Because Abraham Avinu didn't do anything wrong. He gets to Israel, and then you think there should be a big party waiting for him in Israel, and God says, okay, welcome to the famine. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? And this land that I'm going to give you, you are going to have to take by military conquest. <laughs> Can you imagine someone who loves you the most, the most in the entire world, opens up a black velvet box and there's a piece of diamond jewelry. Wow. And hands it towards you and says, I'm giving you this because I love you so much. And you reach for it. And then the person takes out a gun and says, now take it from me. <laughs> it's like, what? Is this a, 
I thought you were giving this to me as a present. So God gives us the land of Israel as a present, and then we have to militarily conquer it. Seven nations. Not one, not two, seven nations. Okay, so then God miraculously gives Abraham this child. Miracle baby, right? And by the way, it's another level of appreciation that we should all have for who the Jewish people are. Because, like I said, we descend from Yitzchak, yet Yitzchak was born miraculously. In other words, we're all descendants of a miracle. I once heard Rabbi Manus Friedman, I believe it was him, say that when anti-Semites look at a Jew and say, you don't belong here, on a very deep level, they're right. Because on the one hand, we're part of this world. And on the other hand, we're sort of like beyond nature. And that's illustrated by the fact that we're children of Yitzchak, who is this miracle occurrence. So in other words, challenges are part of what it means to be in this world, no matter what, no matter what. This world, Kabbalistically speaking, is called Olamasiya. Olamasiya means the world of action, which means that God wants us to be doing things. We're supposed to be doing things. And that suggests challenge. So the way that I, I always like to think about it is, if you can think of baseball for a moment, a baseball player st- grabs a bat, stands by the home plate and the pitcher throws the ball and the batter is not surprised. In other words, when, when a person wakes up in the morning, they have to understand what, what challenges am I going to face today? Because that's the nature of this dimension that we live in. This is the world of action. You wake up, you say, Modani, you grab your baseball bat (laughs) and you get ready to swing at the balls that are going to be thrown at you for the day. Have you ever seen a major league player like step up to the plate and then the pitcher throws the ball and the the batter says, what are you doing? (laughs) Are you crazy? What did I do wrong? It it never happened because they understand the rules of the game. And that is the rhythm of of our life in this world. Okay. So we're we're talking about the infinite. And we're talking about the fact that God is beyond infinite. But as I was saying... All of us have challenges in this world, and you have to understand that you're going to have challenges no matter what. Sometimes the challenges come because, in fact, we did do wrong things. That is a real thing, and we're supposed to investigate our our behavior. But even if we were absolutely perfect, we'd still have challenges. That's the point. Because that's part of the nature of why we're in this world and, and why the world even exists. Through overcoming challenges, we bring the world closer to perfection. That that is the currency. 
That is the currency of how we complete the world. God sends us challenges. We overcome the challenges. That increases the amount of light in the world. And then eventually, God's oneness is revealed through all the light that's put into the world. Okay? That's the story of creation in a nutshell. So I just want to give you a mind-expanding thought. At least it's mind-expanding for me, which is that all of us should ask ourselves the question, especially when we're maybe having a hard day or we're just sort of like, kind of like absorbed within our own thoughts and everything like that. How is there even a world? Aren't <laughs> you taking like 900 steps back from your own life and you're asking the question, how is it possible that there's even a world that exists and that, that I exist in this world? How is that even possible? And let me make that question a little bit more clear, which is going to get us back to this concept of the infinite. Now, in the presence of the infinite, and this is one of the main questions that the Kabbalah is trying to answer, by the way. In the presence of the infinite, how is it possible for the finite to exist? In other words, the infinite should vaporize the finite instantly. Every time the finite tries to form in the presence of the infinite, it should be absolutely obliterated. So if that's the case, how is it possible for God to even create the world, a finite world, in the presence of his infinity? especially since the world itself is within God's infinity. See, so many people think that the world is extrinsic, extrinsic, extrinsic. <laughs> that's, see, that's what, that's what happens when you try to be fancy, you know? Mm -hmm. Extrinsic, I think that's, that's outside of, that means outside. So most, many people, and this is like, like a, a, a giant mistake if you want to think like a Jew, right? They think there's God and then there's the world and that the world is somehow outside of God. This is so wrong and so upside down, I can't even tell you. The world exists within God. The world exists within God and God completely saturates all of the world. God is absolutely everywhere and in everything. So the question actually becomes even stronger, which is how does the finite continue to exist within the infinite? Now, there's a very interesting explanation that I heard in the name of the Vilna Gon, which is that what did God Cre why did God create the world? Everyone wants to know, why did God create the world? So there are many, many answers to this question. But I'll just tell you the answer that I heard in the name of the Vilna Gon. Very interesting. God, in his perfection, God lacked lack. <laughs> God, who encompasses absolutely everything, 
lacked imperfection. Isn't that interesting? So he created the world because he lacked lack. And yet we know the destiny of the world itself is to become perfect. In other words, we know Mashiach is coming, and that will be a time where there's no war or hatred or hunger or obstacles to serving God. It will be a world of peace, right? So even this world is going to achieve that level of perfection. But that's a very striking idea. But again, let's return back to our question. How is it possible for the finite to exist within the infinite without becoming vaporized by the infinite? And the answer is, the, without going into it, because this is something that we've discussed many times, but I'll, I'll just get, give it to you quickly. And I, I love phrasing the question another way, which is, you know, if you've, if you've ever seen an, an electrical power plant, they're really large. They're like, like a city square block. They're really, really large, okay? And so the question is, how is it possible that when I turn my lights on in my kitchen, my entire apartment building doesn't blow up? <laughs> that is a real question. Because you've got massive amounts of electricity being generated at this power plant. It should blow up my apartment. And yet it doesn't. So we know that there are all these breakers, all these step-down, you know, whatever they're called exactly, along the way. And each time the power gets compressed and compressed and compressed, or if you want to think of it another way, you've got Hoover Dam. Can you imagine you want a drink of water and someone opens up Hoover Dam? I mean, you will be drowned in a second. But you've got all these pipe systems and, and, and infrastructure so that you can literally turn on the faucet in your kitchen and a nice, beautiful little stream comes out when that water is being drawn from basically an ocean. So God does the same thing with his light. God compacts his light and compacts his light and compacts his light until you've got something called this world and you've got something called the laws of nature right where it seems to be running and god can even conceal himself to allow for free choice which is the most amazing 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 thing can you imagine god fills the entire world and we can't see him he's keeping us alive and making our brains function and we ask with our brains that he's constantly keeping going, is there a God? Can you imagine, like, how mighty and awesome God is that he can be so present and nothing can function for a nanosecond without him? Imagine, if God didn't will the world into constant existence, imagine you're in a room without any windows and then someone turns out the lights. Right? The lights are on, no windows, the doors close, and then someone turns out the lights, it comes, becomes pitch black. In other words, if God didn't constantly will this universe and each one of us into existence, moment by moment, it would like be switching off the lights and all of existence would disappear like that. 
And yet, God is sustaining us and keeping us all going. And so many of us ask the question, is there a God? It's amazing. It's amazing. I like to say that one of the one of the ways that we know there's a God is that we ask, is there a God? What do I mean by that? Because are we we wouldn't have a brain that's functioning unless God was was operating it or allowing it to exist. There wouldn't be a world unless God allowed it to exist. So in other words, the very fact that we're asking, is there a God, is proof that there's a God. Because if there wasn't a God, we wouldn't have the brains to think to ask the question, is there a God? <laughs> I don't know if that was clear. But the only way we can ask the question is because we exist and because we have brains. And the only reason why we have existed and we have brains is because there's a God. So the very act of asking, is there a God, is actually proof that there's a God, because otherwise we wouldn't be able to ask, is there a God? <laughs> okay. So now, let's go a little bit deeper. You have the infinite, and then you have the finite, which God creates and sustains. Now, just imagine very simply, there has to be a borderline between the infinite and the finite. At a certain point, the finite has to be the finite. Because if the finite's the infinite, then the finite can't exist. Right? So, so there has to be a borderline between the infinite and the finite. Okay. And when you study more Kabbalistic thought, they really zero in, and there's like great discussions about exactly where that borderline comes. Really fascinating ideas, okay? Well, that means that within the finite realm, there has to be something that's going to be the closest to the infinite while still being within the finite realm, okay? Like, in other words, let's say you have a glass, an empty glass. And that empty glass represents the finite realm. Well, the, a full glass would represent the most infinity that you can have within the finite realm. Because the glass represents the finite realm. So what is the most, here's our question. What is the most infinite thing that exists within the finite? And the answer is the Jewish people. The answer is the Jewish people. Did you ever wonder why the Torah compares the Jews to the sand and the stars? So there's, there's many homiletic, beautiful ideas about being compared to the sand and the stars, right? The sand's on the bottom, the stars are on the top, all sorts of beautiful kind of pieces of imagery that go along with that. But I want to approach it from a different angle. You can't count 
grains of sand. I, I never did this actual study before, but I, I heard someone speaking not so long ago, and he said, you can't even pick up one grain of sand, which I thought was interesting. I never tried, but, but he was standing before a group of people and was saying with great confidence that you can't pick up one grain of sand. I don't know. It's interesting. And he was saying that because we're all kind of like one people, you know, that the, the bond between us is so strong. Okay. Next time you go to the beach, you can, you, you can try to pick up one grain of sand, see if it's true or not. Send me an email. But again, there are a finite number of grains of sand. There are. It's just that, and I'm talking about now what is visible to the eye, right? If you were saying to me, like, atoms or something like that, that's, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about really within the, the concrete realms that we can experience, what is the closest thing to the infinite that still exists within the finite? That's the question. So the grains of sand and the stars in the sky. And the Jews are compared to the grains of sand and the stars in the, so in the sky. There is, there is a number, ultimately, to how many grains of sand there are. There is. It's finite. But at the same time, it's uncountable. There is an answer to how many stars there are in the sky. It's finite, but at the same time, it's uncountable. And that is the Jewish people. Isn't that awesome? I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. So I was speaking at the Happy Minion Friday night, and I said, do you know in the realm of time, do you know what is, you know, Shabbos is compared to Olam Haba, the world to come. It's called like a taste, a miniature of, of like the next era, the next evolution of existence. So I said, here you have a group of Jews who are besimcha, they're happy, they're davening. It's on Shabbos, which is within the realm of time, the most infinite thing that ex still exists within the finite realms, which means right now all of us together are the closest that we can be to vaporizing all of existence <laughs> without actually doing so. It's a wild thought. It's a wild thought. It's like you're living really on the, the frontiers of the finite. <laughs> that borderline between the infinite and the finite. But now I want to go even deeper. Because what we've been calling the finite up until now is also infinite. Because if everything exists within God, that means that everything has its headquarters within the infinite. And if God saturates all of creation, that means that there's an aspect to infinity to even what we commonly call the finite. Now, let me ask you something. If I were to ask you, if you were to go up to, say, a child, or even an adult, but let's just say a child for now, and you were to say, can you tell me, can you define infinity to me, for me? 
Probably, they would say something like this. Sure, infinite would be like, I'm counting, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and it never stops, it never ends. And that's the definition of infinity. I think a lot of people would give that answer. Okay, very good. By the way, I want to tell you something. I haven't been able to track this down, but I saw in a book called The Juggler and the King, a fantastic book, by the way. It's, it's by Rabbi Aaron Feldman, I think. And he's the, one of the Rosh Yeshivas of Ner Yisrael. And it's the Vilna Gons explanation of the sort of like the most way out Agadita, you know, which I, I don't like this translation of Agadita, but it's just, well, I'll do my own. Wild stories in the, in the, in the Talmud, which are not, which, which are like crazy. Like they're talking about like birds that are like, you know, several stories high and, and, and just crazy imagery and things like that. But basically they're deeply encoded messages from the rabbis. And you've got phenomenal interpretations which really plumb the depths of Jewish thought. And so this book, The Juggler and the King, has the Vilna Gon's explanations of these agadita or a, a section of them in Baba Basra. Highly recommend that book. Excellent, excellent book. Anyway, in it, he mentions that the, you know, all, all of the great people, if, if you didn't know this, you're not supposed to learn Torah in the bathroom. You can wish you can be learning Torah in the bathroom. <laughs> that, that in itself is sort of a high level. But you certainly can't bring a Torah book into the bathroom because it's not respectful. Okay? That's the bottom line. And of course, God fills all of existence, right? But at the same time, there's certain behaviors that you exercise in front of the king, certain signs of respect, and that's one of them. You don't bring a Torah book into the bathroom. So then the question is, our greatest sages, our greatest minds, what were they doing when they were in the bathroom? And the answer is mastering all of mathematics and science. <laughs> This is real, by the way. This is real. You see it if you kind of del delve into, you know, our, our greatest rabbis' biographies. You'll see that they mastered all of science and all of mathematics during that time in the bathroom. And in this book, The Juggler and the King, they make reference to the fact that the Vilna Gon came up with a mathematical formula for, that describes infinity. And I've been trying to track down what that formula is. Because clearly, the Vilna Gon found some insight into God. But because he was dwelling within mathematics, it was, so, so to speak, a kosher thought to have when he was having it. But some mathematical thought about infinity from the Vilna Gon, it's out there somewhere, so we got to find that because I'm sure there's a huge insight in there. Okay, that we can learn about Hashem. Anyway, with God's help, I'm going to be going to the Vilna Gon's kever, to his gravesite in a few weeks. So I'm very excited about that. God will. Okay. So again, we want to go deeper. 
And the idea is that most people would describe infinity as 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and it goes on and on and on and on and never stops. Except there's a problem with that. And to give one example, let's talk about pi for a moment. Okay, pi is the circumference of a circle, and it's what's called an irrational number. So it's 3.14159, and then it goes on and on and on and on and on infinitely. Okay? Now, they have periodically math contests where they see how far can you take pi to. Okay? Because in, in, in an effort to see, is there a pattern to this number, and does it ever ultimately repeat? In which case, it wouldn't be infinite. It wouldn't be truly what we call an irrational number. Okay? They have taken pi, you ready for this? To the billions of digits. You can look it up on the internet. To the billions of digits and it's never repeated itself. To the billions. Okay. Which means, let's apply this to our topic. <clears throat> By the way, I went to Bronx Science, the bright, and, and that's a, a specialized math and science school in New York City. And yeah, it's a public school, but you have to take a test to get in. I was, I'm neither a mathematician nor a scientist, <laughs> but I did go there because when I was going to public school in New York City at that time, people were getting shot in the hallways. So it's sort of like, okay, let's send you to a school where you won't get shot in the hallway, David, okay? So anyway, that's how I ended up at Bronx Science. But we didn't have a football team because the principal said that, that as a student body, we were too frail. So, <laughs> but we did have a math team which I was not on, obviously. And the math team had a cheer, okay? So here was the Bronx High School of Science math team cheer. Sine, cosine, cosine, sine, 3.14159, go science! <laughs> okay, it was pi, or, or a few digits of pi anyway. Anyway, let's get back to this idea of what I'm going to be calling now, listen to this phrase, because this is the key phrase, levels of infinity. Levels of infinity. So again, we said, most people, if you ask them, what's, what's, what, what, what's infinite? They would say, well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and it just keeps on going and going and going and going. But how do you get from the number three, like you want to keep on counting, how do you get from the number three to the number four if you can never get past pi? <laughs> In other words, at a certain point between three and four, and by the way, there are many, 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 many irrational numbers. Pi is just the most famous one. Once you get to 3.14159, it never ends which means you can never even get to the number four. It wouldn't surprise me if there was irrational numbers between zero and one or between one and two, which means you probably couldn't even get to two. So now we have this concept of levels of infinity. 
In other words, say between three and four, pi, you have an, an example, a manifestation of the infinite. Then you have this idea of infinity that we were discussing earlier, the end of all numbers. Okay? So let's, let's apply this back to Hashem and how this affects our lives, because this is, by the way, going to have a very real impact on our lives. And I read something in the Jerusalem Post this past week that really amazed me. They were quoting, they were talking about this movie Oppenheimer. You know, Oppenheimer was the inventor of the atom bomb. And the, the team that he assembled was largely composed of people that Hitler kicked out of Nazi, Nazi Germany. Bless you. So, you know, Hitler and his hatred for the Jews lost the war, right? So all these great minds came to America and they were recruited to work with Oppenheimer on the Manhattan Project and they, they made the atom bomb, okay? Anyway, so this article in the Jerusalem Post was discussing this and they quoted a anti-Semitic Nobel Prize winning German scientist who was working on cathoid tubes, right? Some, you know, very advanced science at that day probably around the 1920s, 1930s. And he was deriding something called, quote-unquote, Jewish science, right? And he said, Jewish science is, is like just like ridiculously abstract. And he was saying this in a, in a very derogatory, very, you know, mocking way that these Jews who are, you know, supposedly scientists have like these just the most far-flung ideas that seemingly have no application to reality. Well, the atom bomb sure does. And these thoughts became the atom bomb. So it's, to me, it's just so striking. It's so striking because what's so amazing about Judaism is that on the one side of the spectrum, you have the nitty-gritty particulars of halacha, right? Like, what order do you cut your fingernails and your toenails in? There's an order, by the way. You can look it up. What order do you put your socks and shoes on in the morning? There's an order. On the one hand, Judaism is like, the most particular exact system of life there is. Nothing addresses every particular circumstance of a person's life like Torah and Halacha does. On the other hand, you're talking about how God created the universe and what was going on before there was even a universe. And it's one system of thought that's completely coherent, completely coherent. It's amazing, it's amazing. So let's get back to this idea of levels of infinity. Because as I told you, it's a wonder that the finite can exist amidst the infinite. Why doesn't the infinite vaporize the finite? It should. 
The finite should never be able to get off the ground. Every time it starts to create it, it should disappear back into the infinite. And yet God, through this process called simsum, contracts his light and creates this realm within himself and the laws of nature. And so from our perspective, it looks like, oh, nature's running the world. God's not running the world. Nature's running the world. And yet the Ramban says that a person who doesn't say that every single thing that happens throughout your day, every single thing that happens, the fact that I can begin this sentence right now and complete this sentence, anyone who doesn't say that every single thing that happens is a miracle, or put more simply, unless you say everything that happens is a miracle, you have no share in the portion of Moshe. Can you imagine? He says it even stronger. No share in the Torah of Moshe. In other words, you don't have the slightest concept of what Judaism is talking about unless you understand that every single thing is a miracle. Now, what is nature then? Because, you know, maybe a child or an alien who landed on Earth, not that we believe in aliens. By the way, Rabbi Ari Kaplan says, we do believe in aliens. You know what they are? Angels. Isn't that interesting? He said, what are angels? Angels are creatures from another dimension, from a heavenly dimension. And angels, you know, they're angels in this world. They go up and down. That's what aliens are. That's Rabbi Ari Kaplan. Fascinating idea, you know? He, he's saying this as opposed to saying, you know, little green men on Mars, right? He says there are in, interdimensional creatures. They're called angels. Fascinating idea. But, but the idea is like this, that if you were to have someone who just were to sort of like kind of have like an adult who has amnesia and then all of a sudden gets their memory back and then walks outside and sees the sun rising. Wow, the sun is rising. And then the sun sets. Wow, the sun sets. Like they would see the miraculousness of that. But if they saw it, you know, you know, a while later, they would go, oh, no, no, no. That's the sun. It rises and it sets. <laughs> like at a certain point, the regularity of it seems to be the opposite of the miraculousness of it. But it's no less miraculous. Now listen to this definition. Miracles, or nature rather, nature are miracles that you've grown bored of. <laughs> you don't think of yourself as getting bored of miracles. But we do get bored of a certain category of miracles. And those miracles that we get bored of, we call nature. Right? Like you'll still see a spectacular sunset and you'll go, wow, there's a God and it's so beautiful and everything like that. But that's not usually an everyday occurrence. Right? Or a child was born. This is amazing. This is amazing. But again, you know, you go, oh, mazel tov. <laughs> you know, like it's like, okay, you had a kid. All right. So 
That's, now I think that we can maybe have a greater appreciation of what this idea is of levels of infinity. In other words, our baseline reality, our everyday reality, is absolutely infused with the infinite. And then you have greater manifestations of the infinite. The revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Right? When Yom Kippur comes and God cleanses our souls. Olam Abba, the next world, which is like beyond everything in creation. You have levels of the infinite. But we exist amidst the infinite. That's the headline. When we talk about the finite, it's a very useful phrase to use. And I'm not against talking about the finite. As long as you understand that even the finite is infinite, because all there is is infinity. There are just levels and greater levels of the infinite. Levels and greater levels of the revelation of godliness. Now, I'm going to conclude with one idea here. It's a far-out idea, okay? This is from the Idra Rabbah, okay? It's one of the deepest books in the Zohar. The word ani is the same letters as the word ain. Ain means like nothingness. But in this context, it means like the most highest divine nothingness. In other words, it's not, it's not a negative. It's not, it, it doesn't have any pejorative connotations to it. It just means God in his most beyond transcendent state, like or in sof, light without end. It's beyond. So you take the word I, right? And then you rearrange the letters. And it's Aleph, Yud, Nun. Ani becomes Ain. In other words, God is beyond, 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 beyond. And then there's this concept called I. Now, you could say, what does the I stand for? Well, you could say, well, the, the I stands for you and me. Because we have a piece of Hashem within us. But it's actually much, much deeper than that. Way deeper than that. The process of creation, the narrative of creation, is going to be from the Ain to the Ani. But what does Ani mean in this context? Ani means Gilui Yichud, which means the revelation of the oneness of God. You see, we exist amidst godliness. But God conceals his oneness so that we see multiplicity and we think there are different powers in the world. There are no other powers in the world. Judaism isn't saying, my God is stronger than your God. My God can beat your God up. Judaism is saying, there is no other God. There is only God. There is only Hashem. That's what Judaism is saying. And so when what we call the finite realms, this baseline of infinity, where God is concealed, and we see a natural order, 
And we wonder, is God here? Right? This baseline reality that we live in that we call the finite. But really, it's infinite. As we've discussed, this realm is also infinite that we exist in. But at some point, when Mashiach comes, the presence of God in this realm is going to be openly revealed. And God's oneness is going to be openly revealed. And that's the transition from Ain to Ani. From Ain, meaning nothingness, that God is beyond, beyond, beyond in this highest level infinity. That aspect of his presence is going to be made known. And that's the journey that all of us are on. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.